Hi, and welcome to the 14th Womanthology podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton, and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas, and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. The theme of the show today is women in energy and sustainability. I'm going to be chatting with Zoisa Northbond, who is the CEO of Octopus Energy for Business. We'll also be hearing from Inesh Santos, Womanthology's Associate Editor, who is going to be talking us through the written stories in the new issue. A quick reminder that you can sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of the website. That's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our new LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So welcome to the show, Zoisa Northbond, who is CEO of Octopus Energy for Business. So Issa, could you tell us about your educational background and career to date? Uh, yes, yeah, so um, I was somebody, I think, back in my school days that was actually quite creative and quite artistic. And um, I probably wouldn't have said I was particularly scientific at all. I liked geography um, and I did that at A-level. But it's, I suppose, strange that I end up in such a, um, a scientific um, engineering style role in many ways. I went on um, a university to study ancient history. And then I did a master's, oddly enough, in um, Roman archaeology. And um, from there, um, I worked in PR mainly, and uh, I, I held many, many positions in PR. I went on to run a couple of agencies. Um, and then actually, uh, one of my clients uh, that worked in the energy sector at the time, um, they were building wind farms. Um, so we're very um, into sustainable energy. And it was just an area that really fascinated me because I think all through um all through kind of my education uh, today and my career today, one of the things that I loved was about um, creating stories and, and really understanding other people's stories. Um, and actually with wind farms at that stage, they were actually very controversial because um, people would have very different reactions to them. Some people loved them and some people hated them. So um, I really enjoyed the kind of consultation work that we used to do with communities um, as we built those styles of project. I, I leapt at the chance to uh, to join that energy company. Within a couple of years, I was actually running it, which was, uh, I think, um, quite uh, surprising um, given the background I came from. I said it wasn't an engineer. And then actually I've just... Um, really enjoyed um, the energy journey and ended up at Octopus three years ago actually to set up um, Octopus Energy for Business so providing uh, green electricity to businesses but since then um, I've learned so much more about technology in this role so constantly learning and evolving Um, and I've really enjoyed um, helping to create some products that do anything from resonating with um, EV drivers right the way through to um, creating and supporting new industries like vertical farms. Wow. And so EV being electric vehicles. Is that electric right? vehicles. Thank you so much. Um, and in terms of um, for, for our readers to understand a bit about Octopus Energy for Business, how it was established, that would be quite good. Yes. So um, Octopus Energy um, is a, a relatively young company. It was established about five years ago now. And we grew very, very quickly. Lots of energy customers uh, from, from across the kind of spectrum 
Um, they didn't typically like the way that energy companies um, communicated, and it, it's quite a, a difficult area sometimes to understand. And very often, when you you know turn your lights on and off, you look at your meter, and the way that your energy company will bill you will be very much on kind of estimates. Um, and what Octopus Energy wanted to do was just you know make energy much more accessible and easier for people. So using technology and kind of um, being able to um, use the benefits of things like apps, et cetera, um, customers now have the ability to be able to kind of take readings and enter those and so they're built accurately, um, really understand how they use energy um, throughout the day through using some of our tariffs that um, operate kind of into, into the um, half hourly world. And I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. And um, it's grown grown hugely. So um, from kind of a standing start in 2015, I think it formally launched in 2016, um, it's now got almost 2 million customers. Now, when I first met um, Octopus Energy, I was actually running um, another energy company, as I alluded to. Um, and we were doing some really great work, which um, I loved at the time, but it was with very big um, corporate customers. And we were essentially building um, wind farms, selling the power to big corporations like Mars and Unilever to make them 100% sustainable in their operations. And I really loved that kind of work, but I was quite fascinated by this little, this company that, you know, had, I think at the time, 20 to 30,000 customers and what they were up to and some of the kind of storylines that um, I was reading about them um, I thought oh I'd, you know, I'd love to find out a bit more so I, I contacted Greg um, our CEO I came in and had a bit of a chat we went out for lunch and by the end of that lunch I was like I really want to work here and you know it pushes me well out of my comfort zone because um, this is a startup and I'm coming from a very kind of corporate nice company with your own office and driving a company car all of the benefits of that into kind of startup world and actually I arrived on day one to set up Octopus Energy for business and I really understood generation and the way that wind and solar farms worked um, and yes customers but uh, this journey has all been about understanding that part but learning more about the way that technology can help the way that we um, transform an industry and the way that we can supply electricity and then actually um, working with customers who are going to see that benefit first and rather than go with those very big corporations that I used to work for where you saw they had all the tools at their disposal and um, money and time and they would have people that looked after it for them we've actually focused in on SMEs um, and trying to bring some of those benefits where um, they can get lower costs they can use solidly green electricity but it's it comes um, at a price that's actually cost less than if you were going to buy brand energy that was more expensive um, and actually typically for these people green electricity was always seen as a premium product and what, what we've really done is kind of drive down the cost and made it accessible for far more so it's been a really exciting journey <laughs> oh definitely and in terms of the difference between green and brown electricity so essentially anything that isn't green is brown it would be um, coming from sort of fossil fuel sources for instance um, so things like uh, coal which thankfully we don't burn too much anymore but really our kind of reliance on these things um, is is starting to decrease, particularly uh, with the advent of things like wind and solar farms um, coming on as, as sustainable forms of generation, which actually don't um, emit um, emissions and um, pollute in quite the, the same ways as other forms of generation might have done in the past. Uh-huh. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And day to day, if we are trying to imagine you at work, I'm sure that there's no two days are the same. Uh, uh, but if we're trying to imagine the sorts of things you're doing day to day, and also maybe how COVID 
has affected sure. what you're doing day to day as well. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because I think we, um, with Octopus Energy, the principles of the company was set up on um, digital first principles. So we've always um, been very kind of savvy about the way that we set our model up and the way we have people that kind of work um, across the UK for us. So yes, we have offices and people kind of go into those, but you can actually, um, the beauty of our model is you can take your laptop and work anywhere and it always has been. So actually lockdown um, has been a real test of that model, but it's it's been great. We've not seen kind of any differences in the way that we can handle customers or anything like that, because actually right from the outset we were building this fresh company with a different perspective um, with the you know with a, a kind of technology backbone that enabled you to be able to do things in a different way in a very smart way and um, so it's almost like not that we saw it coming but um, we were very very well prepared for it I would say on a on a typical day um, for me it's extremely diverse it's not a hierarchical organization where I would sit in a glass office and sign stuff off for the company and do all of those things so it can be anything from speaking to customers brainstorming around um, how we're going to do something slightly differently in the way that we might um, deliver that energy or we get lots of customers that want to work in partnership with us so they may want to, for instance, um, green their business, so buy green electricity, but then also use their brand and their power to be able to talk with their customers as well, their customer base, and enable them um, to be able to go on that journey and become more sustainable. So things like offering um, business tariffs under their name. I'm thinking about uh, we work with Arsenal Football Club, for instance, and we power them, but then there is a, an Arsenal fan tariff. And then there's a great a great deal of it, actually, is probably very much um, kind of r and and innovation focus so um, thinking really creatively about um, new products that we can we can bring to solve customer problems so I talked a little bit about electric vehicles earlier and uh, one of our latest products um, we were very aware that when people were charging their cars in public when they go to plug in and, and fuel for want of a better word but they're using electricity um, they usually have to carry around um, probably about well, 10, 15 different cards to pay at those charge points because they're all owned by different people. Or you have to download 15 different apps onto your phone. Um, and we did think to ourselves, gosh, there's got to be a much better way around of doing this. So um, we've created a, a product called the Electric Juice Network, where we basically work, um, we've integrated with lots of CPOs, but what the customer sees is the Electric Juice Network, CPA, sorry, public charge points, I should describe them that way. Um, so um, we've integrated with lots of those. So what the customer sees is the Electric Juice Network. Um, they get to see kind of where they all are throughout the UK, but they can use one way to pay uh, rather than downloading all of these things. And they literally can go and charge their cars they log on to the electric use app um, network app um, and then actually can even appear on that octopus energy bill if they're an energy customer with us so they can go online and they can manage all their kind of fueling costs for the car and the electricity costs that way and also see their bills as well so it's um it's a world which is really exciting because it's not just about supplying energy it's about actually using technology um, and, you know, how we can almost um, help people understand it more um, as I think we see the demand growing as you know, people become smarter. They carry around lots of devices. They'll be charging cars uh, through with electricity into the future, all of those things. But it's it's more around helping people kind of really understand how it all works, um, but doing it in kind of quite creative ways, which is super interesting. And I would say a lot of my time is probably spent there, uh, which I love. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, well, well, it shines through in what you say. It's lovely when people are enthusiastic about what they do and they really believe in it. And it's it's 
it just makes working enjoyable. Totally does. And I've got the most amazing, I mean, I talk about the technology, but um, the talent that we attract uh, is just phenomenal. It's so diverse. I think any other um, energy company I've, I've seen or worked at, um, I remember the last one, um, I was in the sort of top 30 of the hierarchy, but I was the only female that ran a business unit. So it was you know, allowed to actually spend money. And I was probably the youngest by about 10 years. Now, um, at this organization, there are so many women. Uh, it's not even a thing. You don't even notice it because it's so well balanced. It's very diverse. We have people from lots of different backgrounds, which is lovely. Um, and I remember turning up on day one and being shown around uh, the office and uh, thinking to myself, oh, God, I feel, uh, you know, really quite, uh, really quite old here in this environment, like I've gone back to university, because literally these, these guys, are, they're just incredible. And one of them turning around and saying, oh, well, they do this in startups after a while. And I said, oh, what do you mean? And he says, bring in the grey hair. And I thought, how have I gone from being 10 years younger than everyone to now suddenly being like, you know, 10 years older? But um, I think the wonderful thing about that is you constantly learn, you constantly change your leadership style. Um, it keeps you on your toes and you want to be at your very best and it keeps you hungry and kind of looking forwards the whole time. Um, and some of the stuff that used to bother me, I think, like um, that, you know, the, the male female split, um, people pigeonholing you into roles because, you know, women are better with people than men and all of those styles of things. It's just not a thing anymore here. Um, and I don't waste any more time or energy on it because um, it's almost an organization that's been built um, and it's very, I suppose, gender blind. Um, and for that, you've got the very best people for the job, which is a great blend. <laughs> uh-huh. And my work's done. Great. And in terms of the different strands of the offer, so we talked a little bit about some elements of the offer, distinction between business and consumer as well. So the charging, the juice network that you mentioned, would um, residential people be able to use yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is the beauty of it as well, because um, you're encouraged to think about the whole kind of energy and electricity world, not just kind of your silo. There's one thing I've always loved about it as a company. So actually, if I, although we have an EV division, it's not technically my responsibility, but if you have a great idea um, that you can see that's going to work, you're just you're just encouraged to go and pursue that. Um, and anybody is, um, you know, where, wherever they are, if they have a good idea, uh, you can go ahead and, and, and you know, move that forward. So um, there is octopus energy for business. We do have um, octopus energy residential, which is um, the, the biggest business, I suppose, and the first one that was launched and where the bulk of our customers are. We have um, an electric vehicles division that's also led by a wonderful lady called Fiona Howarth, also an installation business. So um, this is where we have a whole team of engineers that go into people's houses um, and actually fit meters um, and they can fit a number of products. So things like uh, into the future, it'll be solar panels, it could be heat pumps, all sorts of things kind of in the home. Um, we have um, an interest in generation as well. So um, looking at uh, wind farms, we have we've just acquired two wind turbines. Um, it's called the Fan Club. We think it's wonderful. So they're obviously big fans. Um, and we keep saying we've got big plans for our big fans. So we launched a, a fan club where basically um, people that live close by to those uh, wind farms can actually um, sign up. And it's it's a waiting list at the moment. But um, in April, we'll be launching a special tariff where if they're part of the fan club, they get 20% of their energy. And then actually once the turbine starts, if it's a really windy day and we're producing lots of energy, so I think the turbine has to go above 18 miles an hour, they actually get 50% off their electricity, um, which is pretty cool. 
love it. I absolutely love it. Sign me up. It sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, but we, we what we hate to do, we've had such a lovely reaction from it. And we have people now asking for fans. They're, they're saying, we're a fan, we want a fan. <laughs> uh, so we've got, we've got kind of this heat map across the UK of uh, where um, hopefully we'll be able to put some more of these, um, which is a totally different reaction to what I was kind of describing to you of in the beginning when um, I got involved with energy, when it was all about very much people that were very nervous and very concerned about having them close to them to actually go from that to this style of reaction is uh, it's quite extraordinary <laughs> but that's testament to your approach as well i think so um and in terms of community energy i read about something with a co-op in the, is it in the midlands did i yes yeah so uh, the mid counties co-op so um one of the things that we also do is we work um in a joint venture company uh with the mid counties cooperative um, and we set up a venture that uh, works with the 800 community groups um, across the UK. So very often, um, some of the most kind of um, active communities will have developed a group and they'll already be thinking along the lines of wanting um, some form of generation. So maybe a wind farm or a solar farm near to the village um, that they can own either or they can get the benefits of. So um, can you know almost contract the energy and use the electricity. So that joint venture, essentially what we do is uh, we contract with those uh, community-owned projects. So if there's a solar farm sitting on the end of a, a village um, and we take the, the power from them um, and we'll give them a stable price for that electricity looking forwards for a couple of years so that they can understand how that model will look. And then actually we do all sorts of kind of innovative things with it. One of those as well is uh, it goes to a, um, a tariff called community power, whereby um, people signing up also make a donation to um, supporting community energy projects. So it goes into a pot and at the end of kind of each quarter that gets distributed to um, any number of people that might apply. Um, but we, we basically have the community groups then vote on where that money goes, which is also quite nice. Wow, I love that. And in terms of, sorry, I'm just making up extra questions here because uh, I'm, I'm fascinated. Uh, if there was a big housing development in the future, would that be that they could have their own... I mean, you'd think so, wouldn't you? You'd think with um, things like solar panels now, um, and you can put those on rooftops as you built. There's even, um, I had the fortune a year or two ago to, to go on a tour of one of these factories that was making um, bricks um, that had PV cells in them. So even as you build, um, your house can be this kind of generator of, um, a generator of electricity. Um, you would think absolutely, totally. And I think into the future, that's what we see is rather than, um, this world whereby you had uh, coal plants and nuclear, huge kind of things built um, in kind of very remote areas, which required lots of wiring to kind of get that to houses across the UK. <laughs> um, into the future, you could see a world whereby absolutely you either have a, a fan at the core of your village or you have your community generation that's owned by your community group. And actually it travels down a much smaller wire to get to your house. Um, and you would also think that that would be a cheaper way of uh, probably generating and supplying electricity too, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would, yeah, you would You would hope so. But hopefully as things move along, then the developers will kind of catch on to that type of thing more. And there are a number of them actually out there, um, very kind of innovative housing developers that are looking at these styles of models at the moment. So I think they appreciate that homes as well and buildings into the future 
um, in a way, they have got a big part to play in um, our sustainable um, energy journey um, and, and taking our kind of reliance away from some of these other more traditional forms of generation. We, we have many um, wonderful conversations about innovation that we can do with people like that as well. Um, and in terms of we've, we've touched a bit on, I think, the smart metering side of things. I was quite interested in I read something somewhere about during um, lockdown, obviously, you can use more green energy. If So with the smart metering thing, you can work out what people's habits are. It's more to do with, I suppose, um, how we look at energy pricing on a national level. So um, when most customers would go and uh, procure their energy for the year, they'll be given a, um, a standard sort of single rate tariff. Um which just kind of looks like a flat level and it'll be you know, somewhere up here. However, when you actually look at um, what energy pricing does throughout the day, it does this. So there are, if you've got like a level that sits here and it actually it's only going above your level twice or three times a day, you've probably got an artificially high rate that you're paying for your electricity. What a smart meter enables you to do in our agile tariffs is actually look at the way that you, you are producing and using energy so sorry you are using energy throughout the day but also the pricing kind of from a national perspective so um actually if you um i don't know have a lion and you're not actually going to have your shower at eight o'clock in the morning which is when everybody else does and actually at eight o'clock in the morning the energy price does that actually you're still in bed and you're not going to have your shower until 11 o'clock in the day. Why actually would you pay for that peak of electricity when everybody else is doing it because you're not? So what the Agile tariff does is actually follow the kind of peaks of um, the way that the energy price um, is set during the day. And it can text you, it can say to you, um, actually tomorrow, um, use loads of electricity between, I don't know, 11 and one in the afternoon, because um, actually there's so much generation that's on the grid, they're desperate to get rid of it and they're actually paying us to use it. So we're gonna pass it on to you and actually on your energy bill, it means that we will give you money for using energy throughout that period. It might also say, don't use it at eight o'clock tomorrow morning or at six o'clock tomorrow night because there is a spike and it's going to be super expensive. So if you want to keep your bill low, you know, maybe do your energy intensive chore um, slightly later in the day, you know, that style of thing. So what a smart meter enables you to do is essentially um, it, um, it's kind of passing through your information and we can see that much better. Whereas what we used to have was kind of a, 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 what we, we now call dumb meters, but uh, where you'd have to, you know, you'd get somebody coming to knock on your door to read your meter. Um, and up until that point, you were probably billed on estimates um, unless you were giving your energy company a kind of accurate reading every month, which, which most people just weren't engaged enough probably to do. Um, so it, it, it really is, um, it's a very different world that we now see, but absolutely it's more around tailoring energy around your needs than um, maybe being artificially penalised because um, you're taking into consideration those really kind of expensive times of the day when you create those type of single rate tariffs. I suppose if you're a factory or something like that and you're scheduling your production times, that really becomes... Yeah, absolutely. And in, interestingly, for um, big um, operations, um, they have been able to access this style of tariff for some time. So they will have a different meter, which is... Um, so you have... Uh, I won't go into meters because it's very, very boring, but a different meter that already could do this. So they would have the ability to see when the peaks and the troughs were coming um, throughout throughout the day and they could shift their operation around that. Um, it's just actually it's it's something that wasn't open to um, the domestic world and smaller businesses um, until now until kind of the things that we've been doing uh, with octopus energy so um, we've now kind of created the ability to do those styles of things 
brilliant thank you so much and and in terms of diversity of thought for the organization how does diversity of thought enable better problem solving would you say um i would i would say i mean it, it just gives you the fact that we're not just you know typically what used to be uh, the energy industry norm which was uh, males usually coming from the same styles of universities solving problems in exactly the same ways and they just maybe didn't see things um in quite the same way and actually i think what um what what the energy future should be is if we are making it more of a personal experience and things that people understand and actually in bringing energy closer to people it becomes um, cheaper to use as well it's not something that big corporations hold and hold the prices on and monopolize anymore Um, you need this kind of very diverse um, kind of perspective um, that lots of different backgrounds and people and different styles of education um, bring. Because at the end of the day, um, what we're trying to do is almost think for people um, how they're going to kind of solve problems with energy across the the home. And to be able to think on behalf of people in that very broad way, um, you have to have as many different perspectives as you possibly can. uh, Because they're just things that, you know, even even me, um, although I see myself as a a diverse um, person, um, I actually um, also come from, uh, my mother comes from uh, the Caribbean, for instance. Um, so um, I, I, I'm extremely diverse kind of in the whole way through. But um, even my perspective can be challenged sometimes when I'm sat down and I think, oh, no, I need to remember to think this way, not just this way. Because, um, you know, actually, if we, go, if we go too female and too in on something, then we're going to miss, you know, we're almost going to create the other effect, um, which is, is leaving everybody else out as well. And what we're here to do is try and make um, things better for everybody in this world fantastic Um, and what is coming up next for you what are you excited about this isn't a work well can be can be out of work as well if you like (laughs) yeah no so um i would say um i'm really excited to i think get back um to the office (laughs) um so to be seeing people um kind of every day at the moment um people we're in the energy industry so we we are seen as key workers because of course we have to keep the lights on but um, we we probably go in once or twice a week we try not to to travel too much Um, And it's so lovely to see people and uh, the energy that people get when they're together. Um, And it almost the amount of people that come back and say how it gets them through the week, the fact that they know they have to go to work. They love it, you know, that kind of thing. So I think once we're all back together, I'm really looking forward to that um, and creating that kind of atmosphere um, kind of every day again. It will be wonderful. I think uh, into the future, um, so many kind of interesting things for us. So I would expect to be seeing many more things coming on our um, renewable generation side so um, more things with our kind of fan club um, in that style as I was as as I was talking to you about I I think it's my ambition actually to make sure that we any kind of any community that has um, wants one has one so we could hopefully have hundreds and hundreds of these things Um, and uh, I I would imagine that we'll also um, look at almost trying to produce as much electricity as we supply to customers because we supply to 2 million at the moment. And it would be very cool um, if we could um, also be producers of all that electricity as well. So um, I will be kind of focused there uh, very much. Um, and of course, helping helping businesses as much as I can as well along the way. And thank you very much to Zoisa Bond-North. I am the associate editor of Womanfology and I am back to tell you all about our new issue, Women in Energy and Sustainability. 
The stories include Emma Golding, a commercial manager at Siemens Energy, tells us about blending on the job experience with academic knowledge. Emma is no stranger to blending work and study, having completed an engineering apprenticeship and then being awarded a first-class honors degree in engineering. She's only a few weeks into her current role, but she's loving the challenges of helping the company transition to sustainable fuel sources. Jazz Rabadia MBE is the Energy, Sustainability and Social Impact Director at WeWork. Jazz talks about how COVID-19 has accelerated interest in environmental issues and demonstrated how the world can change overnight. She also shares how if each of us as individuals can take accountability for our actions and pledge to make small changes to our day-to-day -day lives, we can collectively help to make a massive difference. Also, Charlie Gill tells us about the volunteering project she worked on in Nepal that changed her life by making her decide to shift to a zero-waste lifestyle. Charlie also shares how she became a youth champion for Rallying International's Action Not Excuses campaign and how she and her sister co-founded their own plastic-free online shop, Life Before Plastic. Aurelia Hibbert, a freelance strategic energy and sustainability consultant, talks about her time living and working in Australia and why the pandemic made her decide to return to the UK and set up as a freelancer. Aurelia also shares how the climate crisis means more new skills and ideas are needed for sustainability problem solving, so it's a good time to join the sector as new talent is in demand. Iwande Akinola, Ambassador for Clean Growth and Infrastructure at Innovate UK, talks about being an engineer, innovator and dreamer. Iwande also tells us about her experience presenting a Channel 4 and National Geographic series about rebuilding the Titanic. Also, in her role as a STEM champion, she's urging companies to keep offering work experience to young people using the power of technology. And finally, we hear from Awatif Lotfi, the engineer who's gone from electronics and IT to building a world-class water infrastructure in Saudi Arabia for the world's first cognitive city, NEOM. Do check out our website, www.womanfology.co.uk to read the full stories. And that is all for me. Sadly, that's all we have time for for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also subscribe. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. That's all for now, but join us in the next episode, which is our International Women's Day episode. 
for now take care and stay safe